But first to the race that is on and that will for sure bleed into our daily lives. Let me outline the context. Imagine Googling a question, as you do, and being provided with a succinct answer instead of reams of links leading you to endless clicking. The newest headline-grabbing AI technology appears to be capable of exactly that. Now, the question is, which company will dominate this service and huge related revenue? It's advantage Microsoft's GPT chat right now because it seems capable of producing university standard essays and this could revolutionise how we search on the internet. But the formidable Google is now racing to position its own chatbot called The Bard. Initial testing earlier this week didn't exactly go to plan and the Chinese with their Baidu and Alibaba are hovering on the edges. Now, to talk us through some of the truly astonishing developments in this area, I'm very pleased to welcome Professor Chris Manning to the program. He's an influential Australian right in the middle of Silicon Valley, director of the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. Hello there. Hello, delighted to be on the show, Geraldine. For those out there struggling to envisage how these chatbots might work, maybe you could just explain it, please. Like if you typed into a search engine, is the piano more difficult to learn than the guitar or is it safe to swim at Bondi Beach, what would they supply? They're just going to talk back an answer. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's actually a stunning technological development. It amazes me how this is working quite successfully. So you put in that query, um, say, it's, is it safe to swim at Bondi Beach? It's going to write out some sentences. It'll say some things like, you know, sometimes the surf conditions at Bondi get dangerous, but throughout most of the year, thousands of people swim there every day without problems. One danger with these models is it's probably not going to be telling you about the surf conditions today, but you will certainly get So you get an context in, in some with, form of context, do you? In general, you'll get lots of relevant information. These models do know an amazing amount about different things in the world. And they don't get the super up-to-date information. Why? That's something that's actually changing really rapidly. So there was this big publicity blitz around ChatGPT at the end of last year. And so for ChatGPT and for the first iteration of these large language models, they were trained at some point in time and then what they knew about was frozen. So they never knew about what had happened in the last few weeks. But precisely what's being changed with some of these more recent announcements, so the recent um, Bing announcement or even for plans for what Google hopes to do, these models are going to be at the same time also looking out at the web for new information. And so it's possible they will be able to give current information, though I think that's still a work in progress at the moment. Okay, because, I mean, the overall story from what I can discern is that it's the battle to build the most accurate and effective search engine, an up-to-date search engine. That's really what's underway, isn't it? Yeah, but I think an important thing to think about is they won't be exactly search engines, but in many ways they might be something better. Search was the technology that we had, but most of the time it's not actually what people really want, right? If you Like we call it search, but when you do something in search, a lot of the time you're not actually searching, right? You know, occasionally you might be searching, you might be thinking about buying a Breville espresso machine and you want to search for reviews and see what people are saying about them. But, you know, a lot of the time 
you know exactly what you want to do. You want to renew your driving license or something like that. And really, you just want you know to get started on that transaction, right? That's not really search at that point. It's, you know, give me the information and I let me go for it. You know, there are lots of places where actually you want to do something. And these chat interfaces will be more directly enabling people to do tasks or get the answers to a question they have on the web without really doing the traditional kind of search where you're just being shown a, a page of different possibilities yes, to sort of then try and mill through. I do see very much what you're saying. I mean, have we made a lot of leaps in this area recently? How long has this type of AI been in development? This type of AI has been in, you know, there's different answers. One is there's been in development for 70 years. There's another answer, which it was about a decade ago that people started getting excited about neural nets again. But then, you know, about five years ago, kind of some of the modern ideas of how we build these huge models started to emerge. But then, you know, it was kind of only two years ago that the current ideas of how we could sort of use these models to provide these chat engines really emerge. So it's really been this sort of escalating progression of new ideas that are now coming to fruition. And now we've got this extraordinary race on. <laughs> it, it <laughs> is quite something to watch with the absolute big boys and girls, um, you know, slugging it out now. What we're really intrigued by today is the impact on Google's business model. You know, Google showed off its its capacities of its chatbot, the Bard, and it made a big mistake. And the Alphabet share price just absolutely plummeted. Do you share the view that this type of technology will revolutionise the search engine? And that's China and the West, as it were. Yeah, it's an exciting time because I think absolutely there's going to be enormous change, new possibilities, new entrants in the space are likely. And so rather than the kind of fixed state that we seem to have been in for the last decade, we should be expecting dramatic changes. But certainly there are big questions as to how the business model of search or in general information finding on the web um, is going to work because the traditional model was that through very efficient huge-scale computer computers in the cloud, the cost of serving individual searches was very small and the amount of money that could be made from advertising on relevant um, searches was pretty large and hence there were huge mountains of money to be made. It was kind of like um, in the glory days of newspapers before the web. Mm. Um, whereas what we're looking at with this new technology is these um, chat systems are much, much more expensive to run. They're doing orders of magnitude more computation. So there's probably, you know, 100 times plus as much computation happening to provide these interfaces. So that's a cost. And then the question is, on the other side, it doesn't at first sight seem as if it'll be as easy to sprinkle ads in as you did in the old search page, you know, oh, it's a thing to think about creatively, you know, in the old days of radio, the presenter used to do themselves mm. speaking to sell a product. Yeah, maybe the chat, the chatbot can do that. But, you know, it's not clear that you'll be able to stick five 
ads on a page the way that people do currently. That's so interesting. Um, just let me tell listeners that uh, Professor Chris Manning is with us. Uh, he's from um, Stanford and a very, very well-placed Australian at the core of Silicon Valley watching these amazing developments. So, I mean, two questions. How soon will this type of technology you're describing be available for, say, everyday users? I mean, will we still get links? Will that be something of the past, like <laughs> last year? I mean, it seems at the moment the model that most people are trying first is trying to give you both so that you can either have traditional search or you can have the chat interface. Maybe that's a go slowly and see how it works out approach and isn't a crazy one given how the world has been for the last 20 or so years. But, you know, as I was saying before, I think the vast majority of times you just want to get to a particular website you know or you want to do some transaction like you want to buy some more nappies or whatever you need at that moment and you don't really need search results at all. So you could actually imagine a, a future in which the default will be you'll be talking to your web chat agent and it'll be doing something for you or taking you somewhere or giving you the answer to some question and you'd only get traditional search results if you actually said you know, show me a list of reviews of, I guess, Breville espresso machines is yeah. my example from yeah. before. Well, see, I might Google, I mean, classically what I do is say, show me the latest good writing on, say, the Turkey earthquake. Right. right. I don't know. you want a list of sources. Then I want a list of sources. That's a search. You'd say that is a search still. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one analyst told the Financial Times recently that this new technology had left Google facing the classic innovator's dilemma, and that's that, you know, Harvard Business School professor Clayton Christensen's um, book that talked about why industry leaders, like something as, you know, <laughs> seemingly impenetrable, indomitable as uh, Google, might fall prey to fast-moving upstarts. Now, I wonder whether you think that might be the case here. Well, a time of disruption is always a time of opportunity for the people who aren't the leading player. But I do think it's also important to emphasize that Google has been a huge player in this new neural model space. And indeed, you know, it was researchers at Google that invented the model, the transformer model that was so dominant and allowing this to happen. So it'd be a mistake to count them out yet. So are they in panic mode? I mean, that's one of the headlines in at the press here, that Google's in panic mode. It sort of dialed code red last year. And I did read that one of the uh, motives of Microsoft and their um, the new chat GPT was to flush Google out before they were quite ready. Um, well, I'm not aware of everything that's going on inside, but I think it's probably reasonable to say there are a lot of conversations and urgency right at the moment, yes. Mm. Look, let's just look at a couple of other aspects of it. this. Google has said, and I'm quoting them, we have long been focused on developing and deploying AI to improve people's lives. We believe AI is foundational and transformative technology that is incredibly useful for individuals, businesses and communities. And it said that it would need to, and I'm again quoting them, to consider the broader societal impacts these innovations can have. What are they worrying about? So there are a lot of things to worry about with these models as well. Um, that all of these models are trained from enormous amounts of text that are found on the web. And if you've 
spent a fair bit of time trawling different web forums. You probably realize there's a lot of text on the web that's not very savory. So these models very easily pick up lots of bad biases and opinions. So they can very easily be sexist, racist, um, any other mm. um, ist that you'd prefer the humans you talk to not to be. Um, and so, well, you want to be careful as to what, if you're um, a major company, you want to be careful as to what language your search agent is then going to be speaking to your users. So there are worries of that sort. And then that's one thing to deal with. But I think perhaps the biggest thing to deal with is these models behave the way that people not so infrequently confuse men of doing in mansplaining, that whatever question you ask, they're going to give a really confident-sounding answer. <laughs> and, well, if they know the answer, it is pretty sure it'll be the right answer. But if they don't know the answer... They'll just make stuff up and say it equally confidently. So they, don't, they sense, don't deal in doubt. No. I mean, in some sense, you know, they're saying words as to, according to the model, what is the most plausible answer. And if they know the answer, the most plausible answer is the correct answer. And if they don't know the answer, they just put in what's plausible. So the model doesn't know where you, Geraldine, went to university. It'll probably say, I don't know, that you went to the University of Sydney. And it'll say that as if it's just a fact. It won't say, oh, I don't really don't know, but let me guess. Um, so, you know, so there, there are major issues with then sort of just people believing what it's putting out as the answer without cross-checking it. Now, that's in some sense not a new problem because, you know, when you're going along the stores and somewhere says it has the best Thai food in Sydney, you don't necessarily want to believe that. Mm. But, you know, it's going – we've tended to review a, a lot of sort of web search as a fairly trusted source where you're going to certainly want to be more cautious in believing some of the answers you're well, getting. Well, what about regulation then to try to limit disinformation? Can you imagine – does that have to follow pretty fast? Can it? It's certainly a possibility. And in the cases of deliberate disinformation, misinformation, you know, I think it's an area where there should be more regulation. To the extent that this is a new technology and companies are trying their best to build models that answer as many questions correctly as possible but sometimes the models screw up, as in that um, Google demo that wasn't everything that they maybe hoped it would be. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like you should be being punished for um, the fact that your model isn't perfect. Mm. I'm having a stop the world, I want to get off moment. Listening to you, <laughs> I've got to say. <laughs> anyway, final question. The Chinese company Baidu and also Alibaba... Uh, Jack Ma's company, old company, it says it's also completing internal testing of a chat GPT-style project called ErnieBot. So, I mean, it really is off and running, isn't it? It's a gigantic race yes. underway. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're very active and good um, large Chinese companies building AI systems as well. And 
There are new players. There are several smaller startup companies trying to offer similar services, including U.com and Perplexity.ai. So, yeah, there's clearly going to be a whole big new round of competition. Oh, well, Chris Manning, we will no doubt speak again if we're still still standing. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. I do appreciate your time. Great talking to you, Geraldine. Chris Manning, he's the director of the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory and a rather amusing uh, text came in. I asked about aerofoil lift. Chat GPT got the, got the answer wrong, then told me an aircraft cannot fly inverted, question mark got Descartes' theory of circulation, Galileo on the tides, plus three other matters totally wrong. I could only get archaic and inaccurate replies to any non-trivial queries. That's Ian Batty, who's um, got a Master of Education behind him, so quite keen to know about this particular topic. Look, I think there's a lot, lot more to come on this story. And look, can I just say before I go, we also got, this is typical Radio National text line, Nigel Thompson from Queanbeyan. Good morning, Jorian. I worked for more than a decade on road safety-related policy in the ACT government. This is after our story before the break. The recent 50% plus increase in road deaths in the Territory shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who knows anything about statistics and sample sizes. Road fatalities in the ACT remain low in both absolute and relative terms and can vary greatly from year to year, typically in a range between 5 and 20 deaths. And I think there were 16 in this year that it said it had gone up so far. All right. Thank you for that, Nigel. And we will be changing our focus and talking about Hong Kong next. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.